Today's passage is found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, which is on page 874 in the Bibles around the room. When I'm finished reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will respond, thanks be to God. We say thanks be to God because of the privilege it is to have the word from our Lord at our fingertips, which tells the most beautiful love story between him and us, his children, whom he adores. Let's read. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came in and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things, things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But that, but when his son came of your, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the unconditional love that you have for your children. Despite our selfishness, our pride, and the many ways we turn our backs against you, we thank you for your grace. Please open our hearts and minds as we hear your word being preached this morning. I pray for humility among the people in this room, along with a deepened desire for a relationship with you. Have your way with our hearts, our minds, and our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Thank you, Hannah. Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. 
and it is my privilege to be up here sharing the word of God with you. I love you. Like, I just love being the pastor of this church. I love that, uh, you know, I I get to travel a little bit to visit other churches and other church plants. Um, And all the time I'm sitting through the service and I'm like, you know what? I like my church. I miss my people, you know? And so I'm just so thankful that uh, I get to be your pastor. I love you. If you're a guest with us, welcome to Living Stones. You may have been dragged here by a friend or a family member because you have to go to church at Christmas time or you have to get food afterwards or whatever. You are welcomed here. We hope that you enjoy the service, um, but not only that you enjoy it, that it would be thought-provoking for you that you might encounter God here at the service. And by the way, uh, isn't the music beautiful today, huh? That's good. All right, so we are in Luke chapter 15. Grab a Bible, steal a Bible from a neighbor if you need to. Open up to Luke 15. It's going to be on page 874. We set on the Bible, uh, we set those Bibles around the room. Now, uh, the nine o'clock or the eight o'clock, we started an hour earlier for our Christmas services, and uh, they were a little sleepy. So I expect that you guys have had at least two more cups of coffee than them. So you can engage a little bit in this text. Uh, We, Christmas is. It's the grand finale of the Advent season. And Advent, if you're not familiar with church, is simply a word that means the approach or the arrival of a very important person. And it starts uh, over a month before Christmas Day. And so if you think about it like this, I teach my kids about Advent and, and sometimes we'll have our cousin, their little cousin Wyatt. They love cousin Wyatt. And, and I say, hey, he's coming over. And, and all day long, they're like, when's Wyatt coming over? When's Wyatt coming over? When's Wyatt coming over? Because they have this longing to be with Wyatt. And then when he gets here, I'm like, guess who's here? A very important person. And they're like, Wyatt. And they go and they welcome him. That's essentially what we're doing at Christmas time. As the church, we're longing to be united to God whom we love. And we're saying, God, when are you coming? When are you coming? When are you coming? And at Christmas, we remember he's here. He's come. And so this year at Living Stones, we're doing Advent from God's perspective. A lot of times people approach Christmas services from their perspective, but we've been asking the question, what is God doing during Advent? And we see in Ephesians chapter one that long before he created the world, before the foundations of the earth, God planned to love his people that he would create, even though he knew that we would rebel against him. That's called grace. And so this happened before the foundation of the world, before you sinned against God, before you gave God the middle finger and tried to live life your own way, God planned to give you grace. And for that reason, we've called this series Ancient Grace, Ancient Grace. And today we find that the culmination of God's ancient grace is to bring prodigals home. Jesus in the manger is God's gift to prodigals. God left home to bring us home. So let's look at the story of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. Now, before we jump into the story of the prodigal son, I'm going to set the stage uh, with what Luke says here in the first two verses of chapter 15. He says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So what's happening is there's two types of people that are crowded around Jesus, There's religious people called the Pharisees, and then there's a bunch of sinners, bad people, thugs, prostitutes, professional criminals, slimy politicians. 
but for some reason, they can't get enough of Jesus. And Jesus loves them. And, and Jesus celebrates with them. And Jesus shows them grace and mercy and forgiveness. And guess what all the religious people were doing? They were grumbling. This man eats with sinners. You know why they were doing that? Because religious people have a problem. We have a sickness. We often forget that we too are sinners. We're just as lost. And so Jesus goes on to tell three stories, a story of a lost sheep. He says, which of you, if you had a hundred sheep and you lost one of them, which of you wouldn't leave the 99 in the sheepfold and then go and search high and low, every hill, every nook and cranny, in the, in the heat of the day, in the cold of the night to find that one sheep? You would do it because you love that sheep. And when you found that sheep, you would rejoice. And Jesus says, there's more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner returns than there is 99, than there's when 99 sinners or uh, righteous people need no repentance. What he was saying in that, he, was, he wasn't saying that there was 99 people out there who don't need repentance. He was saying that God rejoices over the one person who actually has the courage to admit that they need God. And then he tells another story, a story of a woman. She loses one of her 10 coins. These coins is worth like a day's wages. So just imagine that you lose a couple hundred bucks and it's somewhere in your house and you don't know where it is. You're looking in the couch cushions. You're looking in your pockets. You're checking the laundry. You're like me. You might even need to check the refrigerator because sometimes I'm just like in a daze putting stuff in the refrigerator. <laughs> and she looks and looks and looks and then she finds the coin. And when she finds it, it says that she calls all of her girlfriends over and she has a ladies night out and they throw a party. <laughs> Because there's rejoicing in heaven before the angels when one sinner repents. And then Jesus tells this story, the story of the prodigal son, the most famous story that Jesus has ever told. It could also be called the story of the running father or the story of the two lost boys. And that's what we're gonna get in today. And so it goes like this, starting in verse 11. If you're new to the Bible, by the way, the chapters are the big numbers and the verses are the little numbers. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. So here we have this, this story. We have this, this father. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying to the crowd, he says, you guys are like the sons in the story and God is like the father in the story. And in the story, there's a younger brother. And the younger brother comes to the father and he says, father, give me my share of the inheritance. Now, when do you receive an inheritance? After somebody dies. And so what the, the younger brother is doing is he's exposing his heart towards his father. He doesn't care about his father. He just cares about what his father can give him. And that is the definition of lostness. To not care about God, it's about the stuff that God gives us. And this father, being a generous man, he calls his two sons together and he actually divides the property and, and, and the assets between the two of them. He says, okay, let's take care of this now. And the older brother in their culture would have gotten two thirds of the inheritance, a double portion, and the younger brother would have gotten a third. And so he gives it to him. And then look at what the, the, the younger brother does. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now just think about for a moment in this small little village town, the kind of shame that this would have brought onto the father. We live in a guilt-based culture, but in the Middle East, it's an honor-shame-based culture. And the son just publicly humiliated his father. 
saying, I wish you were dead. I only want you for your stuff. And then he takes it all and he goes to a far off country. Why does he go to a far off country? Because what happens in a far off country stays in a far off country. The far off country is the Vegas for this guy. He goes to squander his money. It says in reckless living. The word reckless is, is to live according to the impulses of your body or your mind without regard to the consequence to other people or yourself. And that's what he's doing because he's believing the lie that his father's authority is an oppressive authority. And if he just lives according to his own freedom, he'll be free. And so he lives in reckless living. Now let's be honest. We'd all like to live a little recklessly sometimes, wouldn't we? We all believe that lie a little bit, don't we? And he does. He squanders his money, throws it all away. That's what the word prodigal means is to be wasteful. He wastes it all. And it's not just his money he wastes, he wastes his life. He wastes his life on wine and women and sleeping with prostitutes and living on the streets and buying drinks for everybody at the bar. But then he hits rock bottom. Verse 14, when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and it began to be in need. So he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. It says, after he spent everything, a severe famine came. Now, it's not a good time to have a famine come when you don't have no money. But that's what happened. A famine came and he got extremely hungry. Now, for us as Americans, and especially in this prosperous time, it's hard to imagine what kind of pain he was going through. Like, we don't really know hunger, do we? We miss a meal or two and we're like, I'm starving. No, you're not starving. It could do us good to miss a few extra meals. But this guy knew hunger. He lost everything. This is a story of a guy going from riches to rags, from going from being a son to a slave. He hires himself out to a day laborer who has a pig farm. And, and, and for a Jewish boy and a Jewish audience, this would have been astonishing. Because uh, according to the Levitical ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, pigs were considered unclean and unholy animals. So if you came into contact with them, you were unfit to worship God. Now, thanks be to God, church, that Jesus has come and fulfilled all those ceremonial laws of the New Te Old Testament. So now we can eat pigs, right? Amen. We can eat some ham at Christmas time, some bacon. That's what I'm talking about. But back then, this hadn't, Jesus hadn't died yet. And so back then, this would have been the lowest of the low. This Jewish boy was now feeding pigs. And in fact, it says that he longed to be fed with the food that they were giving to the pigs and nobody would give him anything. He was not only longing to be fed, he was lonely and had no friends. It's amazing that when you go places and you're the one spending all the money, how many friends you have. <laughs> but when your money runs out, how many people abandon you? And that's what had happened. He hit rock bottom and now he finds himself a slave. And I think there's something in that for all of us. The lie is that we think that we'll have freedom if we live life on our own, but it only leads to more bondage. And I think if you're honest today with yourself and the times that you've lived, squandering your life, living recklessly, doing what you want to do, you find yourself being a slave to those things or the consequence of those things. And so he hits rock bottom. And we might ask, why does this happen? And I think it's because God was trying to get his attention because clearly he wakes up. 
Now, you might be asking the same question, why does God allow pain into this world? Well, Paul Zoll says that God's office is at the end of our rope. And C.S. Lewis says that God uh, whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. That pain, in fact, is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so sometimes God will allow pain in your life. He'll allow you to hit rock bottom because it's the only thing that will work to get your attention. You see, this guy had to go down so he would look up. And that's what happened. In verse 17, it says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So this, this son, it says that he came to himself. That can also be translated. He, had a, he came to his senses. He had a wake up call. Life smacked him in the face and woke him up. He woke up and smelt the coffee. Somebody brought the smelling salts and he finally had a clue. And this is what happened. He says, oh my gosh, I've really screwed up. Here I am starving. I'm working my tail off as a slave. And back home, my father's servants have more than enough food to go around. I'm gonna go back to my dad and I'm gonna tell him I'm sorry. I'm gonna say I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. And I'm just gonna ask to be one of his servants. Maybe he'll allow me to be a servant. And I want you to notice something. That he doesn't say, I'm gonna go back to my dad and I'm gonna plead my own dignity. He doesn't say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back and say, well, you know, dad, I made some mistakes, but I really have a good heart. No, he's gonna say, I messed up big time. And you listen, church, that's what Christianity is. Christianity is us saying to God, we've messed up big time. We're not in here acting like we don't, you know, have any flaws or problems or we got our act together. We're here together because we don't have our act together. The gospel is not good advice for good people. It's good news for bad people. We are free to admit it. And that's what this boy does. He says, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna admit that I'm a sinner to my dad and I'm gonna just ask for him to receive me home. And so he goes home. And you can imagine, he's probably just practicing his I'm sorry speech the whole way. You guys know how it is. You have a stressful meeting with a family member or a boss and you're like, gosh, he's gonna say this, I'm gonna say this. He's just practicing that the whole way home. It says in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. While he was a long way off, his father saw him. Why did the father see him when he was a long way off? Because he was looking. Because he knew his son had wandered away and he was looking. He had heard the rumors about what his son was doing in the far off land. And every day he was standing at the edge of his property looking for his son to go home. What does this show us about God's heart? What does God want from you? To come home. How does God feel about you? Compassion. Many of the reasons why sinners don't come to God is we think that God hates us or has written us off because we've written him off, but it couldn't be further than, than the truth. That's a lie out of the pit of hell. God is looking for you to come home. When all your friends have abandoned you, God has not. When your family has abandoned you, God has not. When your spouse or your children has abandoned you, God has not. He's waiting for you to come home. And it says that he ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. Now, even in our day and age, old men who have been shamed publicly don't run to the one who shamed them. 
Like we don't see just old men just running around everywhere. That's not something that happens. And especially in this Middle Eastern culture, if you were older and you had an estate and you had children and somebody had wronged you, you wouldn't run to them. You would walk with your dignity and wait for them to come to you because to run to them means you would lose your dignity. But what does this father do? He doesn't care about his dignity. He's willing to sacrifice his own dignity to restore his son's dignity. He's willing to run to his son and embrace him. Now, how would you run to somebody if they hurt you this bad? Would you run with a scolding finger? Would you wait for them and say, I told you so? Who do you think you are? What gives you the right? Now you know? (laughs) Well, the father of heaven runs because he loves his children. And he doesn't come with him a scolding finger. He doesn't come to pummel him with pain, which would have been common. They would have had a shunning ceremony where the son probably would have been brought publicly and beaten and whipped. Instead, the father sacrifices his dignity to come to his son with open arms and to kiss him repeatedly. And in verse 21, it says, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he can get to the request to make him a servant, the father interrupts, verse 22. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So the son is coming, wanting to be a servant of his father, but the father will not have it. He says, you're my son. Let's get the best robe. That's a symbol of honor. Let's get the ring. That's a symbol of household authority. And let's get some sandals. Servants went bare feet. Children wore sandals. In our day, Nikes. Let's get this guy a pair of Nikes right now. He's my son. He's my son. But where's the older brother? Verse 25, now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. So the the older brother's out in the field coming in from his work like a good son would be doing, working for the father. And he hears music and dancing, which just kind of shows what kind of party is going on. If you can hear music, that's, we understand that. But if you can hear dancing, they're throwing down. Like if you've ever been to a Jewish wedding or a Jewish party, they're like throwing people in the air. They're dancing, break dancing. Grandma's doing cartwheels across there. It's, that's what they're doing. And so he asked the servant, what's going on? And, and the servant's like, dude, your little brother came home and you're, he's safe and sound and your father killed the fattened calf. You'd expect the older brother to be like, hallelujah, I've missed my brother. But instead he gets angry. And, he, and the father comes out to entreat him. Just as the father ran to the younger brother, the father runs to the older brother. And it says uh, in verse 28, it says, his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. You gave me a young goat that I might, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And the father said to him, son, you're always with me 
and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So the older brother, when the father entreats him, the older brother comes up to him and he says, look, which by the way, children, don't say that to your parents. Don't be like, when they ask you to do something, don't be like, look, this is so disrespectful, especially in this time of honor, shame culture. He doesn't acknowledge him as his dad. He doesn't acknowledge his heart. He just says, look, I've been out here working my butt off for you. I've been doing everything right. And you've never given me a goat to celebrate with my friends. And here, this son who squandered everything away. Now you're just killing the fattened calf for him and throwing a party. What the heck? We can begin to understand his pain a little bit. You see, if the brother were to welcome his little brother home, you know what that would mean for him? The father already gave the, the younger brother the inheritance and the younger brother went and squandered it away. And so if the older brother were to acknowledge the younger brother as a restored son, you know what that'd mean for his inheritance now? It'd be split again and he would have to share it. And it was a cost that he was not willing to pay. It's a cost he wasn't willing to pay. You see, and in this, the older brother reveals that he's just as separated from the father's heart as the younger brother was. They both only cared about the father's stuff. They didn't care about his heart. They both were lost. You see, there's two types of lostness. If you think about it, like in high school terms, there's like the kids out there on smoker's corner, smoking weed, skipping class, going to parties, those kind of people. You know, and a lot of us were those people. Or are those people? <laughs> but there's another type of lostness, a self-righteous lostness. The person who never cut class, always got straight A's, was serving on student council, always had everything put together, looking down at the others. If you put it in adult terms, the younger brother is the addict on the street who's in Narcotics Anonymous and just keeps on screwing up. But the older brother is the one who gets their life together and buys a nice house in the suburbs. And in the suburbs, he works hard, he provides for himself and his family, and he despises those thugs that are out there wasting their life. And if you live in self-righteousness, you're just as lost as those who live in recklessness. There's two types of lost boys here. And the father entreats both of them. Now, you might be asking me the question, what the heck does this have to do with Christmas? I came here to hear a cute story about a baby in a manger. <laughs> Let me tell you how Christmas is about this. Contextually speaking, it would have been appropriate for the older brother to write off his younger brother while the younger brother was in the far off land. But as soon as his younger brother returned home, guess whose responsibility it was to mediate between the father and the child? the older brother. It was his responsibility. It was his civic duty to stand between them and to bring reconciliation. But where do we find him? Not in between the father and the younger son. We find him in the fields alone being angry. And that's understandable considering what he would lose. And then it's also, we need to take this in context. Remember I said, this is the third of three stories of something being lost. In the story of the lost sheep, the shepherd goes and finds and searches for the sheep. In the story of the lost coin, the woman turns up the house searching for the coin. But when the lost son is in the far off country, you'd be asking the question, why didn't anybody go searching for him? I tell you why. Because Jesus is telling this story about himself. 
what he's telling you is he's trying to get us in suspense, saying to us, I am the truer and better older brother. I'm the truer and better older brother who not only celebrates the heart of the father who wants to welcome sinners home. I was willing, though I was righteous, to leave everything in heaven and come to the far off land, to the pigsty, to bring you home. That's what Jesus is, as he is that baby in the manger. He's the one who left the comforts of heaven to come to the far off country to bring prodigals home, to bring us home. And so, as we think about what Christmas is all about, the first thing that it challenges us to do is to have a moment of reflection. Can you admit that you are lost? At the end of the story here, it just ends on a cliffhanger. After the father entreats him, we don't know if the older brother joins the party. It just ends. And Jesus tells us that way because he was asking us the question, what are you gonna do? Will you have the courage to be like the younger brother and admit that you've screwed up your life and admit that you're lost? And isn't it freeing when you can just admit it? Isn't it freeing when you can just get it off your chest? God knows how you screwed up and he loves you anyway, so just admit it. This is what the baby is in the manger. The baby in the manger causes us to reflect because it says this, your life is so messed up, God had to come and be in a manger. And even further, he had to go and die on a cross. Can we just admit it? Now there's two types of lost people. There's the lost person who's lost because they're reckless and there's the lost person who's lost because they're self-righteous. Which are you? You might be saying, I'm not like either of these, pastor. I'm not going out and publicly squandering everything away, nor am I like the older brother who's publicly looking down and condemning other people. I know I'm not perfect. I'm just trying to mind my own business. Well, you might not publicly be living in lost ways, but how are you living in lost ways privately? Don't you know that God looks at the thoughts and intentions of your heart and mind? What's happening behind closed doors? What's happening in your heart? Imagine just wearing a shirt that just flashed your thoughts all the time the world would know you're lost. Can you admit it? The second thing that this calls us to do is to behold the father's heart. When we look at the baby in the manger, what you should see is God's heart made flesh. Jesus is the incarnation of the father's love. He's the incarnation of God's ancient grace. He's, he's God's grace entered into human history. That's why it's such a big deal. And so we're supposed to behold this. And, you know, I think that one of the reasons why we don't like to admit that we're lost is because if we think if we admit that we're lost, God's not going to welcome us. He's going to scold us. God's going to beat us. God's going to harm us. Or maybe we're too lost for God to love us. We've wandered too far for his grace to reach us. But I was reading the book Hidden Christmas this last week, and I was reminded of a, of a good uh, illustration. And the lady said, if you can imagine the distance between the earth and the sun being 93 million miles, that being a sheet of paper. And the distance between earth and the next nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet, 75 feet high. And the distance of the Milky Way galaxy, guess how high that stack of paper would go? 300 feet high. And we know from science that there's, there's more galaxies than we can even count or number, more than the, the, the sea on the seashore the, or the, the sand on the seashore. <laughs> If you just think about how big this universe is and you reflect on the fact that Colossians 1 says that Jesus holds it all together by the word of his power. And then we look at Christmas time, Jesus is willing to, as he's holding all that together, come down and be a vulnerable little baby. He's willing to go that low. We can reflect on the fact 
that we'll never be able to outrun his grace. There's no amount of sin that you can do that Jesus is just gonna be like, yeah, that's just too far for me to reach because he's coming this far. He's coming this low. The third thing that this calls us to do is to embrace the father's grace. You know, both sons in the, pro- in the story had a problem. They had a works-based relationship towards their father. The younger son, if you put it in accounting terms, had a workspace with his relationship with his father to get out of the red. And the older son had a workspace relationship with his father to stay in the black. And the, the younger son came and said, I wanna be your servant. And then the older son, when the father came out, said, you're not paying me for all the work that I've done for you. But what does the wa- father want from both of the children? He doesn't want them to be servants. He wants them to be sons. And in order to embrace what Christmas is all about, you have to embrace that God doesn't want you to be a slave. He doesn't want you to be uh, an employee. He wants you to be his child. And I think one of the things that, that church people just have such a hard time doing, and even people who aren't in the church, is they think that they need to keep working for God to make him happy. But that's not grace. Grace is that God loves you in spite of you. And so this is a call for you to embrace the Father's grace. And then lastly, it's a call for you to join the party. The older son is out in the fields, not joining the party. Why? Because he's focused on the wrong things. He's focused on himself. He's focused on his works. He's focused on things, the things that his father will or will not give him. And and that is the thing that steals joy from people at the holiday season, is to be focused on the wrong things. Now I know that sometimes we're struggling with loss. Sometimes the holiday season can be a time that's um, filled with grief. But I would venture to say that joy is more to do with your focus than it does to do with your circumstances. And the world is saying, focus on these things. If you just get these things, you'll be so happy. And it never works. And your heart is saying, if you just focus on the pain that these other people have done for you and you protect yourself and you put up walls against all these people who've hurt you, then you'll be happy it never works. Only those who are willing to focus on the grace of our God in Jesus Christ can have true joy in every circumstance. And so join the party. Jesus says, there is rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. And between now and December 25th, there's going to be church services going all over the globe where millions and millions and millions of sinners are going to be repenting and coming to God. How much joy is there in heaven this week? So will we join the party? Let's kill the fattened calf, cook some good barbecue like all godly people do and enjoy the party. Will Will you come to your God? God left home to bring you home. Believe it, church. Believe it, beloved. This is for you. Lord God, we pray that you would just help us. Help us to embrace. Embrace your grace embrace the fact that you're interested in us, not because of what we can do for you, but you just love us, God. Help us to embrace the fact that Jesus came to bear our shame. And Lord, that's, that's just one thing that a lot of us have on our chest right now. We have a lot of shame for things that we've done. But in the gospel, Lord, we see you bearing our shame to restore our dignity. Please do that here today. In your name we pray. Amen.